Lisa of Ghost Emoji. Oh, no, I'm going to sneeze. <laughs> <laughs> what did the sound signature look like on that one? Real big. I think I blew my brains out. Oh, my God. What the fuck? Well, episode's over. Becca's got no brains. I mean, I've never had any brains. No, you've so. got those brains. I love your brains. They just come up with dirty jokes. It's not, they're not, it's not like I'm performing rocket science. It's just titty jokes. Just titty jokes. <laughs> uh, so, I'm Becca. I'm Taylor. Today we're talking about the Croke Patterson Campbell Mansion. Mm-hmm. I've also just seen it called the Croke Patterson Mansion, which is a little bit faster and easier to say, but... Mm-hmm. Croke Patterson Campbell or Croke Patterson. I just did a quick search of, like, haunted mansions, and there was a lot that I'd heard of before. I don't know why. It's the stupid part of my brain that's like, do something no one's ever heard of. It definitely won't be harder to research. Yeah. But, I mean, actually, there was there was a couple of articles that had, like, a good chunk of information, and so I, I think we did pretty good. And it's it started off not so spooky, and then it got spookier. So I'm excited. I just wanted to, to take a step away from, I guess we've done a cryptid, and I don't even remember what else we do on this show. Have we ever done a haunted mansion before? Or a haunted house? Uh, we've done a haunted airport, and <laughs> I think we've done a haunted something. Haunted people. It's us. We're haunted by our own podcast. We can't get away. I mean, I definitely have some demons, so... So the main three articles that I pulled from was the Colorado Encyclopedia had an article on the Croke Patterson Campbell Mansion. So there they've got all three, which means it's a serial killer mansion because it's got three names. Mm -hmm. um, then there was an article called 10 Spooky Stories from Denver's own Croke Patterson Mansion. That one was an article mainly by these two ladies who wrote a book. It was a mom and daughter, and that's where most of the information is from. And then some supplemental stuff from America's Haunted Road Trip and their Ooh. their take on the Croke Patterson Mansion. I'll start since I, I'm the one who got us into this mess. So, in December of 1890, Thomas Bernard Croke pulled a permit for an 18,000 brick and stone dwelling on the southeast corner of East 11th Avenue and Pennsylvania Street in Denver, Colorado. The home was... Uh, supposed to be a chateau-style structure of red sandstone with gables and turrets meant to mimic those of the Chateau d'Azay-le-Redoux. Oh, man, I'm glad you read this first, because woof, woof. Um, it's a 16th century French castle. Today, French. <laughs> the mansion is considered to be one of Denver's three finest examples of the chateau-esque style and the only one to survive. All the other ones, I guess, like, they've got photos and all that jazz, but they've been torn down or destroyed over time. So, it's the only one. Congratulations. So, almost immediately after building his grand show place, and for reasons he never explained, Croke decided to sell it. Um, he'd only lived there for six months, which is a very short amount of time. I hate moving. I hate it. Why the hell would you be like, let's build a whole fucking house and then move? Back then, when, you know, like, all the furniture and stuff, it's all real wood, and it's, like, super heavy, and this is a mansion, so it's a lot of furniture. 
It's a lot of stuff. I, I cut out most of the stuff, but like, I mean, this is like a three story, has a ballroom in the basement. Like, it's the whole deal. Servants' quarters. I was about to say it's a mess. It's not a mess. It's a beautiful building, but moving in and out of that must have been a big pain in the butt. So I guess he moved in to the the mansion in um, 1887 after the death of his wife, Margaret Dunphy Croak. And he moved into the mansion with his two young children and his parents. But apparently, like, shortly after moving in, his mother died. So I guess maybe, like, he builds this house, like, we're starting over, you know, let's let's not live somewhere where everywhere we turn we think of Margaret. And then his mom dies and he's like, oh, that's right, other people can die. Well, we have to start over again. Let's build another mansion. <laughs> yeah, well, because... The house, his wife died in 1887, and then they started building the house in 1890. So his wife mm. had already passed away, and so I think it was kind of like the whole new start thing, but she didn't die in the house. No, I didn't think she died in the house. Mm. I said she died, and then they moved into the mansion. I don't know, like, he had been out on a ranch, and then I guess mm. was like, let's live in this big house, and then he was like, uh, maybe not. Some of the things say that he walked in once and then left and never came back. So I don't know if that's supposed to be he walked in once, was like, JK, and then they sold it six months later, or if he lived in there for the full six months in between. It definitely seems more dramatic to be like, he walked in once, said bye-bye, and left. The drama. <laughs> What's it like to be rich and just be like, I just built this three-story Beautiful mansion, moved all of my belongings, uprooted my family, and now it's garbage. Yep, I hate it now. Oops. Stupid. I don't know. I mean, I don't. Maybe this guy's a nice guy. I I feel bad about his mom and his wife, but it does just seem like a lot of work. And then he he leave. So he's got this big giant house. It's extremely lavish, and so they think that maybe being you know confronted with the fact that his mom had just died and his wife was gone so it's just him and his kids he was like maybe this is too big for him because he was just a rural midwesterner he kind of come from small beginnings and then worked his way up and then i guess he was like ah just kidding so he um what's it called he had a ranch north of Denver, and so he traded the house to Thomas Patterson for an extra 1,440 acres of ranch land, and Thomas Patterson was a lawyer, journalist, politician. I think he might have been a senator for Colorado. I'd have to double check, but he wanted a home that reflected his his standing in the community, which was big, I guess. <laughs> He's like, I need a big house. Here I am. For my big senatorial ship. I'm the king of the castle. Check out my big britches. But the castle-like dwelling he purchased became more than just a show place. He fell in love with it, and it became his close-knit family's retreat for more than 30 years. What a beautiful story. <laughs> so, then the final, the final piece of the puzzle, Mr. Campbell... Mr. Richard Campbell. Dick Campbell. Came to Denver in... <laughs> Dick Campbell. <laughs> he came to Denver in 1894. He met Thomas Patterson's daughter, Margaret, another Margaret, and decided to marry her. A lot of Margarets. I was a very... I mean, there were only like six names to choose from back then, so, you know. 
Um, so the Campbells eventually had three children of their own, one whom eventually sold the property after their parent, their parents passed away. And it served as the Joe Mann School of Orchestra until 1927, when the building became home to the KFVR radio station. Man, it's had a, a very interesting life. It's been a lot of things. <laughs> Yeah, and then in 1930, it was converted into seven apartments and changed hands several times over the next two decades. Interesting fact, the daughter who actually, like, had the house come into her possession after her parents passed away and sold it was also named Margaret, but I thought that was too much. <laughs> so I just left it out, but it's a lot of Margarets. Oh my god, so, okay, so the first Margaret... Is the croak, Margaret Dumphy Croak. Okay. Mm -hmm. The second Margaret is Thomas Patterson's daughter. And then Margaret, that Margaret, marries Richard Campbell's son. They have a kid, and one of them is named Margaret. I just, I mean, again, six names. Maybe one was, like, Margie, one was Maggie, and one was, like, Margaret. <laughs> Whatever. So, in 1972, the demolition of another palatial Capitol Hill residence, the Moffat Mansion, sparked a grassroots effort to save what was left of old Denver's architectural treasures. That same year, one woman led her own effort to save the crumbling mansion. Realtor Mary Ray fell in love with the house and married it and refused to see it torn down. <laughs> she didn't, but she fell in love with it. She loved those gables. And was like, I refuse to see this building torn down. She bought the property and she kept the apartments and stopped it from being demolished. Good for you, Mary Ray. Mary Margaret Ray. I don't actually know if her middle name was Margaret. I just, I've known Mary Margaret's. And so when I hear Margaret, I just have to put Mary on there. The only Mary Margaret I think I've ever heard of was from uh, that one show. She played Snow White. And it was weird because they started calling her Snow. And I was like, is Snow White's name actually Snow White? I think so. I knew a Mary Margaret who lived across the street from me when we were growing up. Oh, weird. And in, in kindergarten, Mary Margaret. She was like a year younger than me, but we hang out. I'm not too good to not hang out with a four-year-old when I'm five. I'm not stuck up. <laughs> it's awfully big of you. <laughs> I was bigger than her. Because I was five. It's true. I remember when she came over and we were moving and I was like, had sunglasses on and I was like drinking a soda with a straw in it. And she was like, where are you going? And I was like, we're moving. See you later. Goodbye. <laughs> I probably had on like a bucket hat. But she was like, I thought we were friends, but fuck you too, I guess. And I just drink from my straw. Just like that. Say, see you later, baby. You're literally a baby because you're four. Oh, baby Taylor. You knew me in kindergarten. I was a shit. I did. <laughs> I did know you in kindergarten. You were a shit. <laughs> you and Mary Margaret should hang out and be like, man, can't you, can you believe? I can. I believe Taylor. it completely. Mary Margaret, if you're out there, please contact me. We have lots to talk about. <laughs> <laughs> Okay, so in 2011, director and architect Brian Higgins bought the Croke Patterson Campbell Mansion for $565,000. That's actually not that bad considering how expensive fucking houses in Plano are right now. I know, well, it's a mansion. That's a fucking mansion. 
I feel like that's what you get for like a three bedroom, two house or two house, three bedroom, two bath. Yep. You know, a decent part of town and it's not even that big. Mm -hmm. Maybe it's got a good yard and a driveway. But you'll have to redo the inside. Mm -hmm. (laughs) It comes with its own grass. Oh, you you get the grass. That's included. (laughs) Oh, good. Thanks. So he bought it. And he was looking to convert the property into an upscale bed and breakfast. I hear you, dude. I see you. That's valid. That seems like a good, a good, uh, a good idea. So Higgins immediately began renovation work and he was aware of the building's long and storied history, including rumors that it was haunted. So during the renovations, Higgins and the work crew reported seeing ghostly figures of children, hearing strange voices and feeling unexplained changes in temperature. So Higgins directed and produced a documentary on the renovations called The Castle Project. The film was released in 2013 and the remodeled Patterson Inn opened the same year. That's some like excellent PR. And uh, it's like, it's a beautiful bed and breakfast, but is it haunted? I don't know. I don't know. Better come check it out, I guess. And I don't know how great the production values on that were, though, because I watched the trailer for it on YouTube but I had a hard time finding the actual thing. It wasn't on, like, Amazon or Netflix or YouTube. But, I mean, they made it. And that's when they brought in What's-Her-Face, who I got most of her my information from, Anne Alexander Leggett. She co-authored A Haunted History of Denver's Croke Patterson Mansion with her daughter Jordan. And they were there for a lot of the filming and stuff for the castle project. They did a lot of research on it and they put out this book and the article that I read was a, um, what's it called? Uh, interview with them talking about like some of the scariest stuff that they had found or experienced while they were, were there. And so I've got the top 10. It starts off with 10 being the least spooky things and then kind of works its way down. Y'all ready to get spooked? I thought you were going to be like... But instead you went for jock jams, and I respect that. Because you said, y'all ready for this? Yeah, I guess that's a good point. And then you said, y'all ready to get spooked. I mean, I'm so far into the reference game that I no longer know when I'm referencing. I just... I'm just constantly vomiting references without thinking about what I'm referencing. It's fine. So, number 10. The caretaker in the carriage house. A psychic named Krista, who was working with the authors, spoke with the spirit of an Irish caretaker in the carriage house. She, the ghost, was in the carriage house and was immediately put off by the team being there. Get out of my house. <laughs> get the fuck out of here. She was Irish, though, so it's got to be like, how, how do you say get the fuck out? And Get the fuck out of here. <laughs> yeah. So Krista explained that they were writing this book and everything, and immediately the woman said, okay, if she's ever afraid in the main house, just tell her she can come here and she'll be safe. And then as soon as the team was getting ready to leave, she says, Tell her we want her to write the whole story. She has to tell the whole story. It sounds very much like she, uh, (laughs) like how they were like, oh, she's just writing a book and blah, blah. And she's like, oh, well, that's okay. That's fine. She's a very reasonable ghost. I appreciate that. And I respect it. She was like, if you're freaked out, just come on out here. I won't do anything. I don't got anything going on. I'm a ghost. Got all the time in the world, baby. So number nine, the ghost of Kate Patterson helping a pregnant woman. 
So Kate Patterson was married to uh, the owner, the second owner of the house, Dick Patterson. Who's that? I don't actually know if he went by Dick Patterson. His name was Richard, but it was his wife. So Dick. There was a woman pregnant with triplets. Ouch! Who lived with the her family there? I'm guessing it says they were the last single family to live there in the late 90s, early 2000s. I'm guessing this was after it was apartments and it was back to single families. There were so many different yeah. ones, it was kind of hard to keep them all straight. But anyway, so she's there. She's in the late stages of her pregnancy. She was very uncomfortable. Um, she said that one morning she was laying in bed and wasn't feeling good and just couldn't even roll over. And all of a sudden, an apparition appeared to her and offered her hand and helped her roll over in the bed. And the apparition said, my name is Kate. And that's, I don't know if the lady knew that that was a previous owner's wife's name, but that was Thomas Patterson's wife. And she was a helpful ghost. She said, man, childbearing sucks. Time to roll over. I'm Kate. Goodbye. I'm Kate. Here's, I wish I could do more, but I'm also a ghost, so you can't really expect a whole lot. <laughs> yeah, I mean, and I guess when you're, like, in the late stages of being pregnant with twins, or triplets, jeez, you're probably just like, ah, I don't care if you're a fucking ghost, just roll me over. These ghosts don't seem very, like, creepy so far, which is probably why they're ten and nine, <laughs> but, um, you know, if I was that late into my pregnancy and I had three human bodies growing inside of me and a ghost like appeared to me, I'd be like, you know, weirder things have happened. So this is fine. I think we know who's the less creepy of the two of us. It's you. Cause I literally have three skeletons inside of my <laughs> skeleton. So I win. <laughs> uh, number eight, the opening and closing drawers. That sounds so lame. <laughs> They worked. They wouldn't get stuck like they sometimes do, you know, when they do shoddy workmanship. That's about what it's um, about. <laughs> As someone who does not have a working um, drawer in her kitchen, I respect anyone who can install a uh, opening and closing drawer properly. So the same woman's husband, the, the pregnant lady. Mm -hmm. So she had an office up on, or he had an office, office up on the third floor and a desk with a couch on the right hand side. And he always locked his desk drawers. You could sit on the couch and watch the drawers open and close and open and close. But when you'd get up, they'd all be locked again. Which doesn't sound super creepy, but I mean, imagine being in a room and the drawers are just opening and closing on their own. Yeah, that sounds like the ghost literally is like, all right, once everybody sits down, I'm going to stand here and I'm just going to open and close it and watch you guys get freaked out. And then when you stand back up, it's going to be locked. I wonder why he kept them locked. How could he lock it without like a key? Does the ghost have like, can the ghost form a key finger that he knows what the key is shaped like? Is he like shrinking down and going into the mechanism? Is he using psychic ghost powers? I need to understand exactly how a ghost could do that. Or, or is he performing some sort of like trick of the mind where you think that the drawers are opening and closing because you're just seeing them. You're not physically touching them, but actually you're just like hallucinating it. Also, were these people on opioids? Why would they be? No, this isn't in the 1800s. It's fine. <laughs> okay. Never mind. I forgot. This is like, Present day. Okay. Yeah, I was about no. to say. So they're not on opioids. These are all completely relevant questions, and I think they could all be working. And then you're like, are they on opioids? I'm like, no. No, Becca. 
Well, if it was the 1800s, there's a fair chance. Yeah, this is the early aughts. Strike that from the record. They could be abusing prescription pills, though. But I don't want to say that about them because it's not nice. I mean, maybe that's why it was locked. That would explain it. Lock up your drugs. All right, number seven, the attempted exorcism. And this one, they call it an exorcism, but it sounds more like they just wanted someone to come in and bless the house. So this is a triplet lady again. She had a friend who brought in a priest who was going to bless the house because I guess they were like, I'm tired of these opening and closing things. I'm sick of it. And the priest walks in and immediately went to the front parlor and they've got like this giant fireplace there. And they said that when he walked in, that all of a sudden all of the plaster just started to peel off of the fireplace and this dark vortex of wind came out of the fireplace. And the priest was just like, nope, and left. (laughs) This is where it like took a turn because it was all like, haha, I'm closing and opening these drawers. Oh, you're pregnant? Let me roll you over. And then it turns into a dark vortex of wind flying down the fireplace and peeling all the paint off. She's extremely rude. The well, you know, they were like, hey, we weren't actually, we were just being like slightly inconveniencing. And you want to bring a priest in here to try and bless this house and get us to leave. And that is very rude. You're already hashtag blessed. I helped you roll over. What more could you fucking want? I did everything you wanted. Uh, so, number six, the Phantom Voices. Anne Alexander Leggett, who is the author, right, or the co-author of A Haunted History of Denver's Croke Patterson Mansion, took a psychic in. She took a psychic in with a tape recorder, and later when they finally got the tape back, they heard strange things that they hadn't been able to at the time of the recording. For example, Krista the Psychic will pick something up and say, Oh, I'm getting a woman named Rosemary. Rose Marie? Something Mary? Marie? And you hear a pause and there's this whisper that sounds like, Rose. I mean, obviously that would be creepy if it's real, but they didn't really follow it up with being like, and there was a woman named Rosemary who lived in the house. Like, there was so many owners and, you know, occupants and stuff like that i'm sure there was someone named rosemary or rosemary at some point but this one they didn't really do a big follow-up because there were so many marys and margarets but i don't remember hearing anything about anyone named rose six names to choose from (laughs) you can just combine them rose margaret that's what they did (laughs) this one I, i don't know like if they weren't there when they were recording i feel like they were with most of it so there's I feel like she probably couldn't get away with being like, oh, I'm getting Rosemary. Rose. And then just like whisper it into the thing and be like, oh, I didn't hear that when we were originally recording. But she was probably with her when it was going on. I can't wait to whisper into Psychic's like recording machines and just be like, ass. (laughs) Sounds like pass. No, ass. Suck my dick. (laughs) Diddy. Spelled (laughs) D-I-D-D-Y. But you know they're just going to be like, sounds like he said, get out. Sounds like he said, go to hell. Eat my ass. <laughs> sounds like, get out at last. <laughs> no. Damn it's it. It's not what I'm saying. You know what I said. God damn it. Number five. The woman who feared for her soul. Do you like these, these, ro- these titles? I mean... They get the point across. They were from the article. I didn't make them up. I didn't think so, I'm but... not that good. How'd you... 
I mean, you are very talented, but it takes a very special kind of person to come up with the woman who feared for her soul and superhuman wind. The woman who was really scared. She was very scared. Also, the baby in the basement. That's a classic. Mmm, it's alliteration. Okay, when they had offices here, they couldn't keep tenants because of all sorts of paranormal activity. Typewriters would type in the middle of the night by themselves. Babies could be here crying on the third floor. And party noises were coming from a back closet. The party closet. Oh no, someone was stuck in the closet. Help, I just wanted to party. Just wanted to party. I was gay, and no one would let me be gay. <laughs> so I'm in this closet? Partying. Oh. Now they're free. Free him. They're free. Oh. They're partying in the closet. <laughs> Doesn't sound like a fun story. They're still in the closet. I mean, they're partying. Party noises. Maybe someone else who is also gay will die, and they'll fall in love. <laughs> Could be. Uh, let's see. And then they'll come out of the closet... Here, just let me, I'm, I gotta write my script. It's fine. <laughs> let me know what you come up with. <laughs> According to Anne Alexander Leggett, she reached out to a woman by email who claimed on a personal blog to have had an office there in the late 80s. Uh, she said all kinds of strange things had happened there, and it took her a really long time to respond, and when she did, she was very, like, skeptical and wanted to know why Leggett was wanting her, her input. Leggett explained who she was, and she told her about the book, and the woman was like, okay, I just want my stories to be taken seriously because they were very intense to me. So I don't know if people, like, had given her a hard time before or thought she was lying. Even then, she said she'd send her, like, a questionnaire, and the stuff that she sent back was kind of vague. And then there was another radio silence, and she had stopped responding to emails. And finally, she sent one back that was just like, good luck with the book, because she was just... She was done. She didn't want to go back there. She didn't want to, like, relive any of it, which is, is valid. But she said mm -hmm. one of the questions that she did answer was, uh, did you ever feel like you were physically unsafe in the house? And she had said, I never felt physically unsafe, but I feared for my soul. Hmm. So she was not having a good time. Clearly. She did not want to hang out and party. She just wanted to leave. She did not want to talk about it later, which is, I feel like, very uh, telling of... <sighs> Not wanting to relive that. Mm -hmm. <sighs> Sorry, how do you on? Especially because I feel like, you know, by email, it's either to, like, kind of, like, type it out and figure out what you want to say. But she was like, nah, nah, nah. I'm okay, thanks. Good luck with your book. <laughs> <laughs> oh, okay. <laughs> it would be going better if you would fucking answer my questions, but all right. So number four, the superhuman wind. In the early 70s, when they were going to tear it down, um, it had tenants in it at the time, and it was an apartment building. But they couldn't, like, keep people in it regularly. They were bailing in the middle of the night because of the baby crying and all the paranormal things with no warning. They would just leave. So a young couple living down on the main floor in one of the units called on a Sunday afternoon and said, you need to come over now. And so when they open the door, the place is turned completely upside down. Everything's in shambles. There's a big fireplace that had a huge wood and brass insert. It was really heavy. And the couple said they were sitting in the apartment, and all of a sudden this insert blew out from the inside when a terrible huge force of wind came down the chimney. And the insert was like 75 pounds at least, so 
a regular breeze down the chimney could not have done it. I don't even know. Like, I'm not a chimney expert, but like ours, when wind blows on the top, you can hear it, but I never feel like there's actually wind coming down. So I don't know what kind of force you would have to have to have something physically like blow over stuff in front of the chimney. And it kind of goes along with the whole thing with the, the dark vortex or whatever from that other story. Knocking everything else over. <laughs> I don't know. Tell you, they brought that priest in and it just pissed everyone off. <laughs> Although I guess this was the 80s, so I forget that these are like previous stories. Mm-hmm. So I don't know. I guess maybe they chilled out later on and they were like, oh, I guess we don't have to poltergeist it up all the time. <laughs> all right, number three. We're getting to the big stuff. Oh, yeah. Top three. <laughs> Baby in the basement. In the 80s, they were having a seance. Big mistake. That's no, don't no. Don't do it. Don't do it. Um, and the, the medium that they had for the seance said, I'm seeing something in the basement. There's a child who died, a weeping mother. Um, they go down to the basement, and I don't know if they meant like they went down to the basement right then or like during renovations or what. But they said there was a back corner behind an electrical panel, and the brick kind of stuck out as if maybe it used to be a fireplace or something like that, because it was the same size and shape of a fireplace. They dug behind that wall, and this is one of those stories that, like, it's a good story, but the fact that there's so many variations makes me kind of doubt it. But uh, they said they dug behind the wall, and some people said that they found ashes, which sounds ominous, but, I mean, if it was a fireplace, it could just be leftover ashes. Some people said it was completely empty. Other people said that they thought it was strange because they found sea salt and sea sand, and this is Colorado, mm-hmm. so there's no reason why that would be in there. As time yeah. has gone by, people have done tours of the house, legally or not, because there have been times where it was completely vacant, and they would put, like, I guess, replenish the sand in the hole, either to add to the mystery or whatever. Um, but there's a story about a woman who had lost her baby, and dug up the baby and buried it in the wall. But then eventually the child's body was found and taken back to the cemetery. But because it's such like an odd conglomeration of rumor, it's just kind of gotten out of hand over the years and there's no real firm story. There's one story later on for our number one that kind of ties into it. But because the census is only once every 10 years, they were like, there could have been a child but it may not have been reported, you know, depending on the time period when this was supposed to have happened. Not the seance. The seance was in the 80s. But, you know, if a baby had passed away in the house, you know, in like the early 1900s or something like that, it might have been easier to to cover it up. They said a few mediums and psychics report feeling something having to do with a child in the basement. But if they've heard about it before, they could just be riding on that. It's true. Mm-hmm. Just leave the walls up. You don't got to break down the wall. You don't got to look in there. You don't got to do a seance. You don't got to do all this this wacky stuff. Mm-mm. So number two, the guard dogs. There is an animal death warning at the top of this. So if anybody is bothered by animal death, maybe skip ahead. Yeah, it's not super gruesome or anything, but I would probably jump jump ahead a couple minutes if you're sensitive to that. So there was some remodeling that was going on in the late 70s when they were turning it into offices, um, and they had some trouble with a transient population. People would break in and steal things, and I I imagine they probably were stealing, like, 
copper wiring and stuff. People love that copper wiring. They do. <laughs> the workers would come in every day and find that everything they'd done the day before was undone. Um, and they were blaming um, homeless people, but there was concern that given its history, maybe it was the house. And even when they got a guard and a fence, it apparently had no effect. So they got three guard dogs instead and put them in the house. So on the first night, one dog jumped through a plate glass window on the third floor and it's found in the driveway. And apparently um, a member of the Rocky Mountain Paranormal was there and I guess found the dog and corroborates that this was this happened. The dog died a few days later from its injuries. And then on the second night, uh, a second dog goes through the same window. Also read that it was mortally injured, but not by jumping out the window. And they find the third dog shaking and drooling in the corner of the basement, um, which leads us to go, like, were they so frightened by something in the house that they jumped to their deaths? Uh, some discrepancies like it found the man from the Rocky Mountain Paranormal didn't mention a third dog and there's no temporary or plate glass on the third story. So it's possible they went out the turret room, which is a little tiny window. And the Rocky Mountain Paranormal Research Society did a radio show out of the mansion and one of the sound engineers stayed in the basement. He came back upstairs immediately saying there was a man standing in the corner they searched the mansion but could not find a man, and it was the same corner of the basement where the catatonic dog was found. And it was the same corner in which a previous owner's daughter claimed to have seen a man standing by their toys. Creepy. So just the basement seemed like a bad place to hang out. No, thank you. The do the second dog especially, I was just like, if a if the dog did find its way out of a window, I don't know, the whole thing where they're like, and the second night, it's like, wouldn't they have boarded it up? Or something like that. And so that's why it made more sense when the other stories I read were like, no, the second dog didn't jump, but it was injured. But it didn't say how it was injured. So I don't know. The The first dog can be corroborated. Like people did say that, that the dog, you know, either was confused or scared or, or however it happened. But the first dog did die. But then the other ones kind of start to be kind of kind of iffy. I also don't get why, like, if you have guard dogs, like, wouldn't you have a guard there with the guard dogs instead of just putting some protective dogs in a house by themselves, but no one there to see, like, what's going on? Yeah, you would think, but I guess they were just like, mm, no, that's not necessary. We don't need a human being here to, like, make sure everything's okay and, like, see what's going on. Also, I feel like they could have just installed some cameras or something or literally like hired someone to stay there overnight rather than these poor three dogs just dying well they did have a guard that they hired to stay there but they said that he quit after the first night jeez so it's like a five nights at freddy's situation or or what there's also the 70s so i don't know how great the like night cameras and stuff are imagine they have to be pretty okay but maybe not yeah. Not, like, viable money-wise for the people that were, were working it. But it's one of the most widely circulated stories, but it's also kind of... You can prove parts of it, but not all of it. There's a lot of holes. Yeah, because it definitely is a creepy-sounding story with all the bits, but then once you start to look into it, I was happy I found something to kind of be like, oh, well, this guy who works with the Rocky Mountain Paranormal Research Society that's done some, you know, work and stayed at the house or whatever... Was like, oh, I was there with the first dog, but the rest of it, I don't, I don't know. 
I would prefer it not be real because then that means the doggos are fine, except for the first one. But I don't know. It's spooky. All right. Number one, the spookiest one. This one does have a mention of suicide that happened in the house at one point. So again, if you're sensitive to this part, keep keep skipping. <laughs> Just keep going. Just turn off the episode because it's the last one. Yep. Um, this one, the woman at the top of the stairs. A few people have had trouble walking up the stairs to the third floor of the building they say they get about two-thirds of the way up the stairs, and then they just feel like they can't breathe. They feel like all the oxygen is gone. Um, and actually, during the investigation for the book, Leggett and Krista both like started gasping and feeling like the air was really thin when they were trying to get up to the third floor. A few months later, Leggett's team was doing some research for something, and they were at like the library looking through microfiches and all that stuff. Um, and they found a death certificate by accident. They said that the death certificates are not easy to come by because after a certain point in the 1960s, anything beyond that year is either in the basement of the city and county building or it's at the library, which is, I think, where they were. Um, the, the death certificate was stored with the tax records of the house. It's for the house when Dr. Archer Sudan owned it. He was one of the last, like, single families to live there because, you know, there was the time when it was offices. There's a time when it was apartments and then there were actually a few families who just lived there that was just like a single single family dr archer student purchased and moved in the house in 1947 and his wife talene who was a nurse accompanied him which i feel like is a weird weird way to put it his his wife lived with him as wives do sometimes <laughs> so although talene was said to be happy and social um she died by suicide in one of the bathrooms in the house in 1950 using cyanogas which is, I guess, a powerful pesticide. It's, I think it's by adding, I can't remember which chemical, to water. So she filled a bathtub and then she put the stuff in and then it creates a gas that makes it difficult to breathe. My difficult, I guess, you can't breathe. It wasn't publicized. There's no obituary that they could found that they could find. Dr. Sudan was remarried five years later and that was actually the date of the death certificate. So they think maybe he had to have it, like, reprinted or something to prove that his wife had passed away so he could get remarried. Um, cyanogas is similar to Cyclone B, which is a gas they used in the Holocaust to gas people. So it's very unpleasant. They think that the gasping and last lack of air that you feel is coming from the woman who's at the top of the stairs. I don't know if it's, like, a something where it's supposed to be, like, malicious or if it's just kind of the state of the ghost or or whatever but i don't know a lot of, a lot of different people say that they they feel that i actually i watched a news clip about someone who was doing a report on the house and like talking about the bed and breakfast and stuff opening or whatever the lady who did it like she was telling the other anchors or whatever and they show the clips of them walking around and then she was like yeah this story was really difficult she was like i um, we had a ton of problems with the video, you know, we had all these errors and like stuff wasn't showing up and then the video was like all red and we had to have them like go back and fix it. And then I think she said she and her husband both like, even once she was home, she like woke up in the middle of the night and felt like she couldn't breathe Ugh. and stuff. And so she's like, so now that the story's done, we are going to delete this video and I never want to talk about it again. 
And that's fair. Yeah. And she was like, she's just got like this smile on her face where she's like, I'm on TV and I'm trying to look, you know, cheerful, but this story was not fun. And the other mm-hmm. like anchor lady is just like, oh my God, are you okay? She's like, yeah, I'm good. I'm good. Jesus. So yeah, that's something that apparently happens to not everyone, but some people experience that. Just lucky, I guess. Just lucky. But at the time that they went in, Leggett and the psychic lady or whatever, like, they didn't know about this lady who had passed away just because I guess it's not as commonly reported either. I don't know if it's, like, out of respect for the fact that she, you know, died by suicide or or just the fact that there's not as much information on it because I guess the husband maybe didn't want it to, to be reported on. There's rumors she had a miscarriage and was suffering from – not suffering from. Is it – not nice to say suffering from depression or just had depression. Is there a better way to say that? Because um, I've heard some people being like, they suffered from blah, blah, blah. And it's like, just say that they have it. It doesn't bother me as someone with depression. But I mean, I guess some people might find it offensive. But I mean, it's whatever makes you feel more comfortable. One of the articles I read said that, you know, it was it was kind of strange that people don't cover her as much because her story ties back into a lot of the stories about the house. The fact that she possibly had a miscarriage and there's, you know, these stories about a ghost of a woman who, like, lost her baby, who's looking out the third floor window, um, the sounds of crying babies when no one's in the house, the supposed you know, barrel of a baby in the basement. Um, there's also a rumor that the baby was murdered, but I feel like that's kind of just coming out of left field. I don't know if there's any information to to corroborate that. And then it also kind of goes back to the fact that at the time that she passed away, Talene was 47. So past the age that most people have children, it's not impossible. And who knows, maybe that could be why if she did have a miscarriage, that might have had some bearing on it. But there is no record of a child being born in the house. So a lot of that is just conjecture. That's definitely one of the things that's more like scary in the house since it has like a physical effect on people where they feel like they can't breathe and that's the way that she died. Yeah, and I mean, I know that there have been like a lot of cases where investigators will find like bodies of children that between the censuses hadn't been like reported. Mm-hmm. And so families would during the depression or if there was an abusive father or whatever, like if they couldn't afford the kids, they would just kill them and like bury them in the backyard mm-hmm. or in the house. And they would just not report it because they were like, well, we didn't report their birth and we're not going to report their death. So, which is really fucked up. And I'm not saying that's what happened here, but it it's possible that if the baby, like it was a, either a miscarriage or the baby was born and it was stillborn or the baby was born and then it died when it was under the age of 10 before the census, there's a chance that they didn't report the birth or the death. Well, and the fact that they said that she was like really social and stuff, I... Mm-hmm. I mean, I know everyone carries differently, but if she had been pregnant, I feel like people would have noticed if she had given birth to a baby at full term or close to full term. A lot of it, I think, is people trying to kind of tie it back to the other stories and the rumors Mm -hmm. and stuff like that. But it's definitely one of the the more eerie and, and sad definitely it's very sad the other stuff i was like well i wonder like this why would this house be haunted who would be haunting it and i'm like oh oh sad people okay yeah this this definitely would earn a haunting being like hey could y'all get Mm -hmm. out of my bread and 
bed and breakfast and just let me chill? Had a, I had a bad time, and I just want the rest of my time here to be less bad. Thank you. So the current state of the mansion is after an 18-month renovation, the mansion was reopened in August of 2012 as the Patterson Bed and Breakfast. And since then, it's landed on CBS's top 10 bed and breakfasts list in July of 2014. They have nine themed rooms and accommodations, such as a large flat screen TVs, um, and Higgins has worked hard to erase the stigma surrounding the Croke Patterson Mansion. And for the cost of spending a night there, paranormal enthusiasts can decide for themselves whether the mansion is still haunted. I wonder how hard he actually works to dispel it or if he kind of like depends on it a little bit. Because, I mean, he made, you know, the whole documentary about it being haunted during renovation. So I feel like he's kind of been like... I've got to find a way to make this stand out above all the other hotels or whatever. Is it haunted? I don't know. Yeah, I want to be like, dude, you can't have it both ways. You can't be like, (laughs) it's not haunted, but come and experience and see if it's haunted. It's like... It's not haunted. And and now you have my money. Like, just commit to one, my dude. (laughs) I want to do an episode on the uh, Queen Mary. That would be fun. That's the Croke Patterson Campbell? mansion enjoy if anybody's ever stayed a night there please let us know i'm very curious or if you've ever stayed at just like a haunted bed and breakfast in general i feel like my mom has all the luck and always stays at places that are haunted without meaning to and i've never stayed anywhere that i felt like was haunted yeah i've never done that well what did you do cool and fun these past two weeks that was spooky or scary i have been watching playthroughs of resident evil 2 the remake it's very stressful (laughs) it's very stressful but it's very good i've seen both the leon playthrough and the claire playthrough but i haven't seen the like apparently if you play you have to play both in order to get the like true ending oh ryan says that playing claire a leon b is the way to get the canon ending but most of the ones i've seen i don't know why but like All the dude streamers always start off playing Leon, which, like, don't get me wrong, I love Leon. He's very handsome. He's very cute. But uh, I really like Claire. And also, if you look at their faces, I was like, one, their names are very similar to Leonardo DiCaprio and Claire Danes. And two, um, they look kind of like Leonardo DiCaprio and Claire Danes. So... I don't know if they just watched Romeo plus Juliet before they made the first game and then they were like, well, let's just continue that trend or what, but I love it. Do they have alternate outfits that are like like the little wing outfit and some Hawaiian shirts? I wish. (laughs) If he had like a suit of armor, I'd be into it. Let's just put it that way. (sighs) I played the demo, but I just, I don't know if I'm strong enough to play the game. I've, I've. Watched a little bit of uh, Stacy and Mari from Geek Ring Mix's playthrough. And then I, you know, what I watched with, with you and Ryan and Garrett, which you saw how I handled that, so. <laughs> oh my god, oh my god. god, oh my god. <laughs> if I vocalize that I'm stressed, it helps, I gotta just let it out. If I leave it inside of me, it's poison. It's poison. But you were just making it so much worse for Garrett, who was playing. He was like, okay, I need you guys to calm down. <laughs> I'm just sitting there with like a blanket wrapped around my body going, oh my god, oh my god, oh my god. <laughs> Garrett, run! <laughs> yeah. But yeah, that's my wreck for the 
for the week because um it's it's been really like good and i've really enjoyed it also we're currently watching a playthrough of resident evil 4 which came out I don't know. I think when I was in college and Ryan played a lot of it and I remember it being really like like 2006 good. or 7. It was that first year of college. Yeah. I remember watching him and Garrett play. We called it Scary Game 4. Yep, Scary Game 4. <laughs> <laughs> and it's got Leon in it too. Yeah, I love Leon. Me too. He's just so cute. Like he's kind of vanilla, but he's just cute. I don't know what to tell you. <laughs> like I'm not proud of myself, but I like him. He's a cute boy. It's funny cuz the guy that I'm watching plays like Leon's a little bitch, and I'm just like, "You're a little bitch. <laughs> Don't talk about Leon that way." Oh, so rude. Who who says that about him? Eris. Eris is kind of a turd. Damn he's, you, Eris. He's given me so many like great nuggets of wisdom that are just garbage. But Ugh. he's he's the whole reason that I say I'm a professioner. But you know, and now I say I'm a professional. You're spreading like a virus. <laughs> I'm sorry. No, it's okay. I like it. But he's he can be he can be a toot. Although that's kind of his whole like character his, on his, shtick. his stream is he he acts like a little turd, which is actually I was talking to Ryan and I was like, you have a type, and he was like, what? I was like, you love like just little snotty brats. I was like, because that's what he is, and that's what I am. And I was like, you've got a type. He was like. That's rude. <laughs> it's true, though. So what's your thing? Um, I didn't really watch anything that I enjoyed. I was going to let everyone know that the autopsy of Jane Doe on Netflix is not very good. Um, there is a very sad cat death about mid to end of the movie. And that mm. the main guy, Emil Hirsch, is a uh, woman strangling asshole in real life. So don't be like me and give it any of your time because the movie's not that great. It's got some kind of like the idea of it is interesting. They don't really pull it off. And Emil Hirsch is a douche. Cool. The end. <laughs> I'm going to try to Ew. watch movies that don't have dingleberries for main guys so it's hard <laughs> i feel like every other day there's some new asshole that's like oh you thought you could like safely like me but surprise i one time i strangled my girlfriend but it was no big deal she dropped the charges and it's like out of fear probably you piece of shit yeah well this one i was especially mad because then i looked up to see when it was made versus when he he strangled like a lady at some like film festival or something like that and like he did get in trouble for it but he had to do community service or some bullshit like that but this movie was made after it and i'm like so you still hired him huh cool 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 hmm. cool 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 hmm. so don't 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 do it don't do it jane doe is canceled yeah. don't watch it glad i didn't watch it oh here's another thing so the Ted Bundy tapes I just watched last night. I watched all of it. And, like, aesthetically, it was very, like, cohesive. And I really enjoyed the fact that they played a lot of, like, clips from the 70s, gave you a lot of setting. It was creepy. It was informative. But, like, it wasn't anything that I didn't already know from from reading uh, Anne Rule's book, The Stranger Beside Me. I was kind of bummed that they didn't because the whole thing is they're talking about the tapes, but uh, you don't actually hear that much of the tapes. And so that sort of irritated me. And I thought we were going to hear more of his confession. Not that I wanted to hear like the gory details, but I wanted to hear 
more information about the confession. And I felt like they just sort of glossed over that. And they glossed over the fact that, like, his whole relationship with Diane was really fucked up. Like, after she dumped him, and then, late, you know, years later, after he's committed these murders, and he reconnects with her, makes her fall in love with him, and then he, like, just ghosts her because he was trying to, like, get revenge on her. He His whole thing was like, I just wanted to know that, like, I could make her fall in love with me and want to marry me. That was it. And it's like, if that's not <laughs> some fucked up behavior, I don't know what is. He really scares me, personally. Yeah, reasonably so. <laughs> Ted Bundy is actually the reason that I, like, have any sort of interest in true crime, like, stuff, because I remember my grandpa actually... When I was younger, my mom told me that she had gotten him the stranger or that he had gotten her the stranger beside me because he was like, you need to know that, like, there are people out there who are hidden in plain sight and, you know, don't appear to be a monster, but obviously are like that they can trick you like Mm -hmm. that appearance doesn't mean anything. And I remember being like, what's that about? And then I remember Janet told me like a little bit about like the Ted Bundy murders. And it was like the first taste of like, oh, my God, that can happen. Mm -hmm. I would say if you don't know a whole lot about it, definitely watch it. Or if you like are interested in maybe seeing more like setting kind of pieces and interviews. Mm -hmm. But if you go into it expecting to hear all of the tapes, you're going to be disappointed. Gotcha, gotcha, gotcha. That's it. Well, thank you for listening. If you like what you hear, we put out new episodes every other Tuesday. You can find us on iPod. You can find us on your iPod if you get uh, Apple Podcasts or iTunes. Um, You can also find us on Podbean. Uh, We show up on Google Play, so wherever you want to find us, uh, leave us a review. If you like us, tell your friends. Uh, If you have any questions, comments, if you stayed in a spooky bed and breakfast and you want to tell us all about it, you can email us at ghostemojishow at gmail.com. And you can also follow us on Instagram and Twitter over at Ghost Emoji Show. We post uh, any photos and stuff like that that are relevant to our episodes. And it's also just a good way to keep up of when we post new episodes, just in case we get behind or something like that, which we've been doing good about. We are on time. We are doing this thing. Yeah. 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 But uh, again, thank you for listening. And until next time, always remember to say goodbye. Goodbye. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.